Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at verses 3 through verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. We'll have the verses on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. Father, as we begin to open your word this morning, we pray that you would enliven our eyes to the truths and the principles of this text, that we might know you, that we might meet with you this morning through your living word, and that we might leave here a little later changed. God, work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask of you that you would do business in all of us this morning through the power of God's word. And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this text, in fact, in this book, Peter is writing to a group of people that are facing intense trials and intense persecution in their life. They're suffering in all kinds of ways for their faith in Jesus Christ. We, in fact, uh, learned this morning, if you watch the news, this still occurs today as brothers and sisters in Christ in Sri Lanka were, were attacked that, this Easter morning gathering just to worship our Savior, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And there it was in Peter's day occurring with these people and they're suffering. They're facing all kinds of trials. And in the midst of that, that situation, that horrific situation, Peter writes to them and he begins by saying, blessed be God. He begins by telling them, God is great. And I can't help but wonder if these original hearers didn't begin to think to themselves, Peter, you have lost your mind. How in the world, in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of this evil, in the midst of this persecution, can you say God is great? And Peter knew if he's going to make that kind of statement, he better have something to back it up. He better have some facts to substantiate his claim. And you know, it could be for many of you in this room, you're in a similar situation that maybe you've gone through some stuff in your past or maybe you're going through some stuff in your life today that is causing you to doubt the greatness of God. Maybe you're encountering something today that's causing you to wonder, is God really good? Is he really great? Well, I can tell you today on the basis of God's word with a full heart today that God, in fact, is really, really good. And Peter tells us why he's great in these verses. So let's look at it together. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can stop right there. Don't miss this. He says, God is good because he's the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read this, I'm reminded that Jesus didn't have to come and die for me. Nobody forced Christ to come and die on a cross for my sins. 
You see, for you and me, God is automatically our God. He becomes our father through faith in Jesus Christ, but he's automatically my God because he's sovereign and I am not. But for Jesus, it was different. Jesus is not inferior. He is equal. He is God. For Jesus, it was a choice. It was an equal submitting to an equal. You see, God had a plan from the very beginning, in fact, before the foundation of the world, that he would send his son to die for you and I. Knowing all of our sins, he had already decided that Christ would come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was God's plan, to send Jesus. But in order for this plan to be accomplished, Christ the Son would have to willingly and voluntarily submit himself to the Father's plan. See, Jesus had a choice. He could remain in heaven, keep his glory, and allow you and I to die and go to hell. Or he could give up his glory, leave heaven, put on flesh, live a perfect and sinless life, and die on a cross and conquer the grave so that you and I could have life and salvation. It was his glory, our salvation, but he couldn't have them both. And which did he choose? He chose you. I don't know how you feel about yourself this morning, but I can tell you today beyond a shadow of a doubt how Jesus feels about you. You are immeasurably valuable to his heart. In fact, so valuable, he was willing to die just to have a relationship with you. And he starts off, God's good because he loved us. But secondly, he goes on, who according to his great mercy. He says God's great because he's a merciful God. See, the grace of God reminds me that I get to go to heaven. The mercy of God reminds me that I should have gone to hell. See, we live in an entitlement mentality or entitlement society where we begin to think that everybody owes us something and then we transfer that onto God and we begin to think, well, God owes me this and God owes me that. Listen to me. God owes me nothing. He knows you nothing. God is not indebted to us. In fact, all that we truly deserve is death and hell. That is what we rightly deserve on the basis of our sin for the wages of sin is death. That would be just But praise God that he's not only just, he is also rich in mercy. And he sent his son. So Peter says he's great because he loves us. He says he's great because he's merciful to us. And then he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus seeking to know salvation And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, that's impossible. I can't enter back into my mother's womb. And Jesus says, you don't need another physical birth. You need a spiritual birth. Listen, when a person hears the word of God and the gospel, the seed of the gospel, when it's combined with a heart of faith, spiritual birth happens. And Peter says, God caused this to happen. That this was completely a work of God from beginning to end. It's all his work. He caused it. He took the initiative. It's similar to your physical birth. When you were physically born, did you have anything to do with that? 
That was completely the work of your parents. We're not going to talk about that this morning. But at any point prior to your physical birth, do you recall standing before God and saying to God, God, I think I've earned the right to be born. Now give me life and give me Kansas. No. You just woke up screaming in a hospital somewhere. You did nothing to earn it or achieve it. It was a gift of God. And in a similar way, in your spiritual birth, you were just walking according to the course of this world. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You weren't seeking after God, but God sought after you. He took the initiative. He spoke into your heart by the power of the gospel And you woke up to the reality that you're a sinner and Christ was your only means of salvation. And you cried out to him. And in that moment, God caused you to be reborn by the power of his spirit. He says, God is great because he caused me to be born again. And born again, he goes on to say, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, God is great because now we have hope. Now, when you read that word hope, don't think of hope as you and I often think about hope. We hope for a lot of things that may or may not happen. I hope that the Royals will acquire one closer. Just give me one. One closer. I'll be happy. But I'm not holding my breath. May or may not happen. But that's not the kind of hope that the Bible speaks of when it talks about hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a confident expectation That our hope is based in and founded upon reality, a historical reality that we refer to as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That our hope is Easter. The basis of Christian hope is the biblical, historical, and theological reality that Jesus was a real and physical person who lived a real life and died a real and physical and horrific death on the cross. He was placed physically in a real tomb, and we cannot find his body because he is alive. You can go to Jerusalem today. You can... Have them show you all these places that they think Jesus may or may not have been buried. But they don't know. Why? Because he's not there. He is alive. And Christ Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is my hope. He is my certainty that because he lives, so shall I one day when I die because of my faith in him. God is great. Because we have real hope, true hope. And he goes on to say, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. That my hope is in a resurrected Savior and a future inheritance. Now, you see that word inheritance and Don't think inheritance like we have inheritances because inheritances are never assured. Something can always happen. And Peter knew that. It was no different in his day. So he makes sure we know that this inheritance, it's different. He describes it in three ways. He says, first of all, it's imperishable. That this inheritance that I have in Christ, it can never be taken away from me. That my salvation is God's work from beginning to end. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That when God started that work in my heart, what God starts, he always 
finishes. He will bring me safely home. That all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And he who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out, but I will raise him up on the last day. That God not only saves us, but he keeps us. And we have an inheritance in him that no one can take from us. It is imperishable. But then he goes on to say it's not only imperishable, but it is undefiled. Literally means unstained. I don't know about you, but I hate stains. And yet it seems to happen to me all the time. You ever bought a nice new shirt and during that day you stained it and now it's ruined. And it's aggravating. And it's frustrating. And listen, we live in a world where we get stained by sin, don't we? The stains of sin mark our lives. We all have things in our life we wish we could undo. Things that we regret, and while we know that we're forgiven in Jesus and the blood of Christ covers us, oftentimes those sins remain as stains that stay with us in our heart. But the beauty of heaven and our inheritance in Christ is that we're going to a place where no one is ever stained by sin again. No more struggle with sin. No more will people disappoint us or will we disappoint other people. Untouched by sin, we're going to a place that's completely pure and totally holy. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. And then finally, he says, it will not fade away. Now, this is my favorite part. That we're going to a place called heaven, and heaven never fades. And this is so hard for us to get our mind around because everything in our world fades. I can buy flowers for my wife. They'll eventually fade. You can buy a new car. You can keep that new car sent for a little bit, but eventually it fades. Our enthusiasm fades. Our health fades. We do well to about 35 and then all down here. Amen. And it don't matter what you do. Rogaine, you can work out three times a week. We all fade. Amen. But listen, it's all right. Because I don't know about you. I don't want to stay here forever anyway. One day I'm going home, and the glory and the joy and excitement of heaven never fades. The joy that I experience on day one will be the same joy and glory that I experience on day one million. Now, that's an amazing inheritance. But listen, it gets even better. Peter goes on to say it's reserved in heaven for us, that we got a reserved spot, but a reservation is only as good as the person who's holding the reservation. And so he continues on, and he says, it's reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God. We've got a reserved spot. God's protecting it. Is there anything more powerful than God? Are you more powerful than God? Is your sin more powerful than God? Are, are your circumstances more powerful than God? But Peter saves the best for last. Who are protected by the power of God through faith. Now this is the best part. In fact, it's the most important part. Because all of this comes to me, Peter says. This salvation, this mercy, this rebirth, this hope, this inheritance. It all comes to me not on the basis of what I do. 
but in what I believe, or better said, in whom I believe. This is not about joining a church. This is not about a particular denomination. This is not about good works. This is not even about religion. This is about having a relationship with the one who made you and died for you on the basis of faith in Christ alone. Christ alone. You see what Peter is saying here? God is great. Why? Because he loved me. Because he was merciful towards me. Because he rebirthed me. Because he's given me hope. And he's given me an inheritance that's promised to me, not on the basis of my faithfulness, but my faith in Christ and his promise to keep me and forgive me. And this has put me in a position so that no matter what happens to me in this world, no matter what trial or persecution, no matter what difficulty I might face, I know that Christ and my faith in him has put me in a position where when I come to the end of my life, I know I will win. And this is the most important issue of life. You know, the real only guarantee you have in life, whether you die at 25, 55, or 105, we're all going to die. It's been appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And the real issue of life is not where I end up on the corporate ladder It's not how much money I have or I accrued. It's not the house I lived in, the car I drove. The real issue of life is when you come to that last breath and you're about to step off into eternity, who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? And where are you going? Are you trusting in you? You trust in your good works? I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to trust in the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think I'm going to trust in the one who conquered the grave in his resurrection. He's my hope. He's my certainty. Some of you are here this morning and you were invited by a friend. Some of you are watching online. You've been encouraged by somebody. You need to watch online. And there's a good chance that somebody invited you or encouraged you to watch because they wanted you to know the greatest news ever. They wanted you to experience the same rebirth and the same peace and the same hope that they found in Christ. They wanted you to know the gospel. See, God had this perfect design. He made everything that we see Spoke it into existence. The centerpiece of his creation was man and the woman. And they walked in perfect harmony with God and with each other. And God looked down upon it and said, that's good. That's really good. It was perfect. He gave them one rule. God always gives us rules for our protection because he loves us. And he told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. True love's never forced. 
God gave them a choice. And which did they choose? They chose sin. They rebelled against God. And in their sin, everything was broken. Sin always leads to brokenness. We're broken. Our world is broken. You don't have to look far to see this. Turn on the news. Our politics, in our communities, in our own lives, we struggle in our relationships. We struggle with anxiety and anger and depression. Why? Because of sin. We're broken. And people will seek all kinds of solutions to fix their brokenness. They'll try education. They'll try jobs. They'll try science. They'll try money. They'll try drugs. You name it, people have tried it. And it always leads to more brokenness. Because God's provided one solution to the brokenness of our lives. And it's the gospel. It's the good news that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. And he defeated the grave. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And as we've seen in God's word this morning, the key to knowing this salvation is turning from your sin. We call that repentance. And it's trusting in Jesus Christ. It's believing in him as your only means of salvation. And through your faith in Christ, you fully know God's love. You experience his His mercy, you're reborn, your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit is placed inside your heart and your life, you're promised a future with him forever, and you have an opportunity to regain God's design for your life. It's the greatest news ever told. Every Easter, it's the same story. It's the greatest story ever told. And the real issue is not the story itself. It's what are you doing with it. I understand a lot of things about life. I understand how people are stained by sin. I understand how people are broken. But one thing I will never understand and I will go to my grave not understanding is how anyone could ever say no to the Jesus who said yes to the cross for them. Do you know him today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can say this morning that you're great. You've loved us. You've been merciful towards us. God, we thank you for giving your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins We thank you that he defeated the grave so that we might have life and life eternal through faith in him. God, if there's anybody in this room this morning or maybe watching online right now that doesn't know you, they've never placed their faith in you. They've never turned from their sin and trusted in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. God, I pray today, right now in this moment, that this would be their spiritual birth. And I pray that they would know that they don't need me or any other pastor. They just need Jesus. And your word says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I pray wherever they're at this morning, whether it be in this room or in their home, wherever they might be this morning, I pray that they would cry out to you for the forgiveness of their sins. And they would turn their life over to you. 
they would make you Lord. They'd stop trusting in themselves and following a path that leads to destruction. And they'd trust in you. And they would know your life. And they would know your peace. And they would know your salvation. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen this time, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God might be working on your heart. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or maybe for the first time you prayed to trust in Christ right where you're seated, I want to challenge you and encourage you to come forward this morning. Might be a bold step on on Easter morning to come forward and To take a pastor by the hand and tell him I've trusted in Christ. But if God is leading you to do that this morning, I can tell you this morning with full assurance in my heart that you will never regret obeying Jesus. So as we sing, I challenge you, would you respond?